Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everyone? Taylor Collins here for CLNS Media with another episode of Pats Daily brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbooks. More from them later. It's not the best damn day of the week on the calendar, but really busy day today, so we had to bump it a little bit. But we're still going to have fun, people. Still a lot of stuff to talk about. You got to hear from each of the Patriots' new coordinators yesterday. This episode is mostly going to focus on Alex Van Pelt quarterback situation we got some new information from you know his perspective what he's looking for Mike Reese shed a little bit more light on how the Patriots view their internal candidates but quickly before we get started I do want to touch on the other uh coordinators that we heard from and get your thoughts but Alex before we do any of that how are you my friend I'm good it's heating up the offseason's heating up we got rumors flying and we got the combine next week and then it'll be free agency before you know it so we're locking in here it's about time Yes, sir. Next week, we will have a combine preview show for you. You know, we got to stay on top of all things college, or I guess in this case, almost draft football. Uh, but yeah, so before we get into Alex Van Pelt and everything we learned from him, what were some of your thoughts real quick on Demarcus Covington and Jeremy Springer? Uh, Covington, obviously someone we're familiar with, but we got a little more insight into how he wants to run the system, his philosophies. And then Jeremy Springer, just the energizer bunny, the guy who oozes passion and energy. Uh, he, we got to hear that he's got some connections to Brendan Schooler, which is pretty interesting, got some insight into how much he values the Patriots' history and their dominance in special teams during the dynasty era. So what did you think about those guys? Yeah, so I, I think with Covington first, because it's just an easy one, I, I wasn't surprised with really anything he said, and I mean that in the best way possible. I've talked a lot about, and Taylor, we've talked about uh, keeping uh, continuity on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball and what you had worked and not changing too much and – Covington kind of made it sound like, yeah, you know, we, you know, we want to be aggressive. We want to be physical. We want to you know, play technically sound, but I, I don't think we're going to get out there and be like, wow, this is a whole new defense. This is a whole new scheme. It sounds like the idea is to just kind of maintain what's been successful as it should be. And yeah, like I said, Springer football guy, high energy, super passionate. He reminds me a lot. Like if I, if you were to ask me what coaches he reminds me of that I've interacted with, I would probably name five or six college coaches before I got to an NFL coach. Like he is a big time college and that's not surprising. I mean, he's been in college most of his career. He joined the Rams a couple of years ago after about a decade working at, at different, you know, division one colleges. I, I think for a special teams coordinators in particular, where we hope the Patriots are going to build their special teams a little differently, where it's more, you're, you'll still have one or two, I think core guys, but a lot of it's going to be younger guys who are maybe backups elsewhere that are looking to earn more playing time. So, those are guys, you know, having a coach like that kind of can help them adjust to the NFL level. So I love Springer's attitude. I love the energy he approaches it with. Look, we'll see if he can actually coach. We weren't going to learn that in a press conference. But I, I think my big takeaway from all the pressers yesterday were these guys get it. I think there's a real understanding of I, I don't think anybody is ignorant to the situation the team is in. And it's not, hey, we're just going to walk in here 
and it's going to take care of itself and we're going to be contenders. Like there's going to have to be work from the coaching staff in order to kind of maximize what the, the unit they have. And I think that there's a real understanding of that, which isn't always the case. Now, understanding that and actually being able to act on that understanding and produce results are two different things. So we'll see if it actually pans out. But I, I think the mindset is right for whatever that's. And some people may say that's worth nothing. And if you want to believe that, that's perfectly fine. I don't think it's worth everything because I think the last couple of years they had some guys that like, I don't want to pick on Cam Accord, but like, I thought Cam Accord got it. I thought he was a guy that really understood what he was there to do, what he was supposed to be doing, the approach, all that. It just never translated. So I think the understanding is right. I think the mindset is right with the coaching staff. How it translates is ultimately going to decide whether or not they're a good staff as it should. And I'm not going to punish them for things they haven't done. I'm not going to celebrate them for things they haven't done. We'll have to see. But it, it, it was it, it was just nice seeing that like they're all on the same page with each other and they're all on the same page with reality, as crazy as that kind of sounds. Yeah, I mean, no, I think you hit it on the head because with all the uncertainty, like you said, that we're going to be dealing with, especially before the coaches were announced, we had no idea what the staff was going to look like. And after hearing from the coordinators, it's very clear they have the same vision. You know, they want to use more empathy. They want to have relationships with these guys. They want the collaborative effort. I feel like that was something we heard time and again as these people want to work together. And, you know, I've seen some people kind of turning this into, oh, well, they're kind of like poo-pooing how Belichick did things. You know, Gerard Mayo was talking about having a bigger staff because it was so small in the past and how they want to have all these, you know, again, the relationships and things like that. And I kind of push back on that a little bit because I think that Robert Kraft and Gerard Mayo have gone out of their way to credit Bill Belichick for what he did and for building this organization up to what it was. That said, it is impossible to ignore the fact that that kind of closed off system where like Gerard Mayo says, I don't want there to be silos. I want everybody to feel heard. We've seen several reports about the fact that people in the building, especially scouts and people like that, didn't feel like their work was valued or that they had a say in opinions. And we kind of, obviously there's the fear of having too many cooks in the kitchen, which is totally fair. Again, we'll see how these guys gel, but having that collaboration, getting differences of opinion, if you can manage those, they can be a huge asset. And not everyone is Bill Belichick where you can have that small staff kind of keep your hands in several different pots and oversee a bunch of things and do that effectively. The Patriots still have a small staff. It's not like a, you know, 49ers. They have a lot of assistant coaches, a lot of people. It's still relatively small, but Gerard Mayo needs help with like the senior offensive advisor, like bringing in people where he doesn't have as much on his plate. I really do like the direction they're going in. And this is just a part of the process where you don't want to see red flags. Like you just don't want to have anything that you're actively worried about because of something someone said, or like, it doesn't sound like they're really on the same page. So for a first year head coach like Gerard Mayo to have this kind of early buy-in where you do hear a pretty clear message from everyone. I, I think that's exciting just, you know, from what we get at this point where we're not seeing any football, we're not seeing drills and we don't get to actually see what the product's like on the field. Yeah. I think the other important thing is just like, in, I understand why some people saw it as, as shots at Belichick. I think the thing yesterday about the, the size of the staff could have definitely been worded differently, but one, they have a bigger staff. They don't have a big staff. Like by NFL standard, they had the smallest staff in the league last year at 17 coaches, which became 15 by the end of the, it started as the smallest and they lost two coaches during the course of the season. The average staff size last year was 23. They're at 21 right now. So they're still on the smaller side. And maybe Mayo doesn't realize that. The other thing is the way some things are changing in terms of the way they're being done. And, oh, well, Bill did it this way and he had so much success. Well, this, this isn't the team Bill had. Bill didn't really have teams with this talent level. And when he did, 
they weren't good. So <laughs> right, like, even Bills won rebuild, which was, you know, 29, uh, 2009 to 2010, 11, like those years where they're drafting Slater and Gronk and Edelman and McCourty and Hightown Chandler Jones like that. They were still always good enough to be, they re he managed to rebuild without tearing it down, which was incredibly impressive. This was a tear down rebuild and it just Belichick system works when you're winning games. I don't think it translates as much when you're losing. Now, I don't think Bill Belichick ever planned on losing games, nor should he. And to go as long as he did without having to tear the things down, the thing down in the studs is a, one of many tremendous testaments to what he did. But you need a different approach with a young team that's coming off a four-win season than you do when you're contending for Super Bowls every year. What will be really interesting to see is kind of when they get, hopefully, when they get to like the precipice and they are, you know, in contention again, how much that Belichick stuff comes back. And I hope we get to have that conversation. It would be a very fun conversation to have. Obviously, if the team never gets good, we don't get to have it. Gerard Mayo's out and, and we move on from there. But that to me is really where the Belichick stuff uh, starts to come in. Yeah. And then also one thing I didn't touch on yet, but was the culture of, you know, wanting to build those relationships. I kind of touched on it, but also because, you know, Belichick had his way where it was really kind of my way or the highway, more kind of, I want to say dictatorship, but we all know how Bill ran his ship. And also when we think about the kind of players he had under him, that kind of thing worked. And then one thing we keep hearing is how this is a different generation of players. And even Brady, you know, it was a different thing. That's a 20-year relationship. Those inevitably fall apart a lot of the time at some point. But even he was kind of rubbed the wrong way by the fact that he didn't feel that he was necessarily appreciated. And when you're a defender, you know, you don't really care what Bill Belichick says or how he treats you because this is one of the greatest defensive minds in history. So when Bill Belichick tells you to do something, you do it. When it's more Bill Belichick is the overseer, the CEO, and you're not really getting the direct coaching from him, like on offense, where we see that, you know, things got kind of cold with Mac. We'll touch on him later. And there was just a lack of sync on that side of the ball. It excites me as we move into the Alex Van Pelt portion of the show, where it's very clear that, you know, he's tagged as a relationship guy. And he really values, like what Mayo's been saying, getting to know them, making sure the players understand that you care about them and you understand them and can kind of adapt to different people, treat them differently the way that they need to based on, you know, their personality types. And like you said, it'll be interesting to see how this experiment works. Like, you know, this could sound great on paper. And then once the season starts, None of it makes any difference. So right. we do still have to see. But with Alex Van Pelt, first, give me your overarching ideas of uh, what he said, because there was a lot from him. So I think the biggest thing, and I mean, I've already talked about this. It was my big takeaway from the little video they put out, the, the digital team put out, uh, whatever it was, last week, two weeks ago, the flexibility. And that he's going to have a core scheme. And you have to have a core scheme. You're not going to have Alex Van Pelt go out there and run air raid. Mm. But he has a core scheme but he's willing to kind of mold that around the personnel they end up with. Now, I think he'll have a say in the personnel, and I don't think they're going to bring in guys that are totally alien to what he wants to do, but I also think that there's some flexibility there, which was maybe something that was an issue for the Patriots last year, something they used to be unbelievable at, but just kind of faded, and I think if there's something that, that uh, Van Pelt wants to do that they don't have the personnel to do, he'll de-emphasize it. And if there's something else that he realizes they have the personnel to really be lethal with, they'll emphasize that. I don't think I'm breaking any news, Taylor, when I say the Patriots won't have the most talented roster in the NFL next year. And, and even if they get to that point, and I'm sure that that's the goal, 
but that's at minimum three to four years away. So if they want to really make some noise and punch above their weight class, the way you do that is maximize the talent you have. It's finding guys, putting guys in situations where this guy does these one or two things really well. So we're going to design our offense to maximize these guys doing these things. And we have this guy and we want him on the field because he does this, but he's not very good at that. So we're going to make sure that we're scheming around him having to do that. And he's mostly doing this instead of being like, you know, just off the top of my head, this wouldn't really apply, but like, all right, we, this is, if you listen to catch 22, you know, why I'm saying this. All right. We want our slot receiver just running fade routes all day. That's all we want him doing. But, oh, well, we weren't able to get a slot receiver who's a really good fade runner, so we're just going to have somebody who can't run fades run fades all day. Like, that kind of felt like it was the approach to the last couple of years, mm-hmm. especially with on offense, which they're using tight ends in the blocking scheme weird. They were using running backs that didn't have a history of catching the ball as pass-catching running backs. They were moving linemen in all these weird positions. It was like these guys couldn't do these things, but the Patriots wanted to do it, so they just kind of put their head down and went ahead and nah, 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 right? <laughs> I don't think Van Pelt is going to be that guy. I think it's, I think to go back to the example I used there, I don't think they'll end up there because if they want a slot receiver that runs fades, they'll go get a slot receiver that runs fades. That'll be a point, but maybe that guy's hurt one week. I don't think it will then be all right. Well, you know, we're going to put Juju Smith-Schuster there and have him kind of try to run by guys. I think it'll be all right. What other things can we do this week? Can we lean on the running backs? Can we lean on the tight ends? Can we lean on a different wide receiver? Can we, you know, that's something I felt like the Patriots struggled with the last few years that it seems like Van Pelt keeps hammering every chance he gets is flexibility, versatility, multifaceted attack. Again, he's, they're going to run outside zone. They're going to be play action heavy. They're going to go vertical, but those are all very general terms. There are multiple ways of doing that. And to me, it's all right. If we have kind of going back to being a game plan offense, basically, but sort of bigger picture too with the personnel, which is what they did when they were great. You know, they'd come out. Well, uh, what was the um, in the playoffs in fourteen? They come out against the Ravens. Tom Brady throws like fifty passes. I think they only ran the ball twice in the second half. And the next week in the AFC Championship, Garrett Blunt ran the ball like thirty-five times. Right, mm-hmm. two completely different game plans. And they were able to execute it. And I think that's what Van Pelt wants to be, which gets me excited because that's what you have to do. If you want to pull off upsets in the NFL, you have to be multiple. You have to maximize your skill sets to be able to punch above your weight class. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of teams say that they want to be multiple and they want to be adaptable and all these things. But to your point, not every team can actually do it. Like the Patriots say that every single year. Like I said, past couple of years, we haven't seen that. Josh McDaniels was one of the best offensive coordinators in the league at adapting to what he had, like the 2016 season, which was very similar to what Alex Van Pelt had to deal with, where you just have all these different combinations of quarterbacks and you have to adjust on the fly and say, okay, this is what this quarterback does well. This is how the roster can kind of support him and going that way. Where with Van Pelt, you know, with McDaniels, everybody was nervous because one, his head coach track record scared everybody off. I don't think it should have for an offensive coordinator job. But there was the Patriots and Belichick connection where it's like, okay, he's been in the system forever. I want something fresh. Van Pelt made it a point to acknowledge how many different systems he's been in, both as a quarterback and as an offensive uh, coordinator or just as a position coach. Because, you know, he operated under center. Then he was in an offense and operated a lot of K-gun. And then when he was coaching, he's bounced to all these different really highly respected coaches. A lot of them have kind of similar base philosophies, but they're still different systems that had to adapt to different types of personnel. 
So that is something where he has the track record. You've actually seen him be able to adapt his scheme and work around his players. And he mentioned, like, he was asked, what do you look for in offensive linemen? And it's, it's intelligence, it's toughness, and it's being a good teammate. And he said athleticism, but there was also, he said, hey, if you're a mauler, you know, we'll adapt to that. We're not going right. to ask a guy like Dewan Jones, where they adapted the scheme because Dewan Jones wasn't a really good run blocker. So instead, they put him in positions where if they did run to his side, it was something he did very well. But they tried to run the other way and adapt that way to make sure that they weren't trying to fit square pegs and round holes. To that point, with the quarterback situation, like that's the biggest thing. You build your offense primarily around your offensive line and your quarterback. Those are the two big ones because your run game is your offensive line. And obviously the passing game has to accentuate what your quarterback does effectively. Also the run game, if they can do that, but that's kind of a given. So he did mention, I'll read kind of his quote um, when he was asked what he looks for in a quarterback. He said he wants somebody who's smart, tough, and a leader. You put them in those categories. I mean, obviously there's accuracy in the passing game and mobility and decision-making. There's a lot that goes into it, but at the end of the day, that role is such an important role, not just for the offense, but for the team as well. So a guy that's a true leader that can come in and really understands his teammates and gets the best out of those guys. The physical attributes are obviously important, but if a guy's a great leader and can come in and make good decisions and throw the ball accurately, those are all pluses. But the guys that I've been around that are great players often are the best leaders and the most competitive guys as well. So, you can adapt to whatever the guy does well. That's not really it. The core things you're looking for are a lot of the times it's the intangibles. That leadership was something he kept right. poking at. So in your perspective, as we move on from that, we've talked about the comments, kind of what he feels. Let's talk about what the Patriots options actually are this season. So we'll look at what? Kind of the obvious one. I know everybody hates talking about Mac Jones. I understand. But it's a little more relevant, especially because today – Mike Reese actually wrote a piece that touched on Mac Jones. And I'll read the little excerpt right now. So it kind of starts with, so could Mac Jones be the Patriots version of Jared Goff? And the idea was that the Lions brought in Goff, but then built around him. They used all those picks to build up the offensive line, which is now arguably the best one in the league, and then get a bunch of weapons like Samuel Portage, Jameer Gibbs, and, uh, and um, oh my gosh, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. Sheesh. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes, it appeared the Patriots had their quarterback in the future after taking Jones number 15 overall in 2021. He had a promising rookie season under the guidance of offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels and the Pats made the playoffs. But high-ranking team officials point to several Belichick decisions over the next past, or I think he means over the past two years, uh, from offensive coaching changes to regrettable personnel moves that contributed to sabotaging Jones's development and crushing his confidence. This is from Mike Reese. Like, Mike Reese is always honest, but usually he'll try to put a positive spin on it, and this is very blunt from what he's hearing from his sources. So new offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt said Wednesday that everything's on the table, as we've mentioned. And then he goes on to say, this is what he heard, uh, when asked if he could envision the scenario in which Jones is starting in 2024, some within the organization seem hopeful that Jones can make a U-turn in New England. But that hardly seems unanimous, which means Jones would have to win over many people. Now, this sheds a little bit more positivity on the Mac Jones angle. I mean, if you are a proponent of Mac Jones, where before we were hearing that it was almost a guarantee that he was going to be on another team and he was a trade candidate. So after hearing Van Pelt's comments, after hearing what we also got from Mike Reese, how do you feel about the possibility that Mac Jones is on the roster this offseason? I mean, I guess slightly higher. Like when they hired Van Pelt, remember I asked you guys that. Do you feel like it's more or less likely Mac Jones comes back? And I, I went from like 10% to 12%. I don't know, 15% now. I Because Reese mentions high-ranking officials. 
if that's like Robert Kraft, I don't think that means a ton. Right. And I, I know that sounds crazy to some people, especially the people who think the Krafts are like pulling all the strings behind behind the scenes. I think if they go to Robert and they say, look, we know you like Mac and you value the quarterback position here, but we're going to take a guy third overall. I think Robert Kraft wants a quarterback. He can, you know, he doesn't want some tra- transitional bridge guy. He wants there to be a franchise quarterback in New England. And I think if they sell him, hey, it's Drake May, hey, it's Jane Daniels. Like as we we saw in in the in the first episode of the Dynasty, like he claims every Patriots quarterback is his son, but he has no problem going from one son to the next son, right? So if Van Pelt to me yesterday was lukewarm, everything's on the table is a very nice way of saying I wouldn't count on it. Right. Uh then the only other two were Gerard Mayo and Elliot Wolf. And I think Elliot, and I just wrote about this on 985thesports.com. I think Elliot Wolf is the big one. So again, high ranking team official that Reese writes. If that's Elliot Wolf, if we are to find out that it's Elliot Wolf that said that, yeah, I think Mac Jones is back next year. If we were to find out that high ranking team official is, I would even say Gerard Mayo. Like I think Gerard Mayo definitely has a say in personnel, but I think also there's going to be some deference to Van Pelt and just 100% the offensive coaches running the offense. Right. So who Wolf's the big one, unless that's Elliot Wolf. I don't put a ton, a ton of stock into it. Cause he also says, and just let me, I I was trying to pull the quote up there. Just give me a second here. He also says, um, Nope. That's the, uh, where, where is, where did I put it here? Um, some within the organization seem hopeful Jones can make you turn New England, but that hardly seems unanimous which means Jones would have to win over many people. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how he's winning over people when he doesn't have a chance to do it on the field at this point. So somebody up there clearly believes in him and him turning it in. And look, I get it. I get it. Like, I think, I think there's a chance he could turn around, whether it be here or elsewhere. Like he showed me enough as a rookie that again, if he's put in a situation that's not a medieval torture dungeon for two years, I, I don't think, Maybe he's broken beyond repair. Maybe he's not. I, I I don't think he's necessarily broken beyond repair. That being said, when you look at the quarterbacks that are available to the Patriots right now in the uncertainty of the future, I wouldn't bet my job on it. I certainly wouldn't bet my job on Mac Jones having that bounce back. I wouldn't, I would not bet because if you bet on Mac Jones and it doesn't work out and Jane Daniels, Drake may Michael Penix become legitimate NFL starters and you get to the draft next year and maybe you took MHJ and so you win like six or seven games. So you're not in position draft shitter Sanders or Quinn Ewers. So now you end up with like Carson Beck, who's not the same caliber as any of the four players I just named. Mm-hmm. Look, you, you, you threw it away. You threw away your chance. You never know when you're going to have a chance to add an elite quarterback prospect again. So I get why people would believe that. If they had like a bunch of other pieces around them and like they had the talent and it was just like, oh, he, you know, the coaching was bad, but man, the pieces are there and maybe they weren't picking as high. There's an argument for it. When you have the third pick with the quarterbacks on the table and so much work that needs to be done around them, I just think it's too logical to get a, a fresh start. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's 150 bucks if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts, hope is here. 
First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com, gamblinghelplinema.org, or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GamesenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. So here's the thing for me. I don't think there is any world. I don't care who's under center for the Patriots 60s. I don't care if it's Kirk Cousins. I do not see a world where they don't invest in a potential future quarterback. Whether it's Daniels, May, Spencer Rattler even. Like somebody who was seen as potentially one of the best quarterbacks uh, whenever he was going to come out. And then obviously, you know, the situation changed. His offense just a dumpster fire. And also, you know, he did some things that didn't help with the situation as well. So I will say in any of these permutations for who the quarterback's going to be, I do think they all have to consider the fact that this was Mac for one year or whoever for one year with the idea that they will be that bridge for the quarterback, whether it's somebody they think they can develop and start midway through the season or start all the way going into next season to make sure that their footwork and their fundamentals are down before they get thrown out there. I don't, I Mac is a bridge guy is an interesting concept just because he's never going to be a true bridge guy. He's a, he's a guy you drafted with the first round pick. If he plays like he, if he comes back, He's competing to be your franchise quarterback. You're not bringing him back to then get rid of him in a year. Because if he plays okay, if he plays okay, and you have first-round pick Mac Jones or third-round pick Spencer Rattler, you just put – you risk the Mac Jones-Bailey Zappi dynamic again, which isn't good for anybody. You're just doing it with a different guy. With that, I would, uh, there's like so many, there's so many little caveats and things. And I understand that it's frustrating. We'll kind of get into why, as frustrating as it is to kind of figure out like all the ways you have to bend backwards to think of Max staying on the team. I understand they're annoying. The market's not very good. We'll get into that in the next part of the show. But I think if you do keep Matt, you sit him down and you have the conversation of, listen, we are going to draft somebody. Like we have to, we, I'm sorry, but we cannot bank after last season on you being our future. So are you willing to be a team player? Are you willing to, you know, do your best with the possibility that after this season, we may not try to resign you no matter how well you do. If this rookie is good enough and seems ready. And will you again, be that team player and not have the Bailey's happy situation. So let me ask you this. What happens if he says no, if he says no, then that's done deal. Then you say, okay, we need to find somebody else. Like I, 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 so I, I would keep him because it's a desperate situation that they put themselves in. Right. And, and I think a desperate, desperate times call for desperate measures, which is, and I, like you just said, you don't love the quarterbacks at the top of the draft. The thing is the, the quarterback position. The free agency. I like the ones in the draft. I don't like the. Oh, quarterbacks okay. Free well, free agency. I think they'll take somebody in the draft. You'll never get a, the, the days of Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers being exactly. Rodgers wasn't a free agent, but a free agent, like. The, the exactly. quarterback surplus is done. Maybe, maybe, maybe Trevor Lawrence becomes available next year. But I, I hate the idea at the quarterback position in any way, shape, or form saying, we'll address it next year. You don't do that at this position. You don't half measure at this position, especially when you are Robert Kraft and you just moved on from the greatest coach of all time. You'd better have a plan. And if the plan is just, we'll address it next year, you have no idea. No idea what the picture looks like next year. And you can kind of parse and plan and this and that. But, you know, for all the, oh, yeah, because I, I was on last night with Joe Murray. And, like, he kind of likes next year's quarterback class. And, look, agree to disagree, but but it's a year out. But let's look at it this way. 
the top quarterbacks in next year's class. Quinn Ewers has been Quinn Ewers is is good, and I like Quinn Ewers. I'm on the record as liking Quinn Ewers, but I had him as quarterback four to five in this class. I had him in kind of a different tier. I think there are concerns about his size and his durability. You look at Shadur Sanders. He could go back to school again. I I don't think you can count on him with anything. He's and that's not a knock on him. He probably loves playing for his dad. Like go back to school, dude. Make all the nil money. Be the face of the video game. I don't care. Especially Cameron, if you're not getting pummeled in the actual right. offensive line. <laughs> Cameron Ward has like one year of success. He's a pure project. He's not a guy you can bank on. And Riley Leonard's not a developed passer. Riley Leonard to me at this point is Sam Ellinger. So those are the guys you really hear about. Shadur goes back to school. Quinn Ewers gets hurt. You don't, there's no franchise quarterback in the draft now. So your plan, your two-year plan at quarterback has now evaporated. And now you have to wait a whole other year. And if you get to year three and you still suck, are you still, is Elliot Wolf still here? Is Gerard Mayo still here? Are you willing to bet your job on it? I just, again, it, it would be one thing if we were talking about receiver or we even, even I think like receiver tackle, they need to address those. But you can short fix that and still get by because the expectation isn't to win a Super Bowl. It's just to be competitive again. Because guess what? There's going to be good receivers in the draft next year. And just the way it works, and people will say what I just did with the quarterbacks, you can do with the receivers. If you really want to, you, you can try to do it. But there's just, look at the number of receivers in this year's draft. And every year, and these kids are yeah. doing these seven-on-seven seven leagues. And the development at the wide receiver position is as strong as it's ever been. There is more talent entering the league at the wide receiver position now than there's ever been. We're just quarterback. There's less talent as almost as there has ever been at tackle. That one's a little more tricky. It's kind of in between, but I was say, yeah. if you get the, here's the thing. If you're, let's say you, you, you draft a tackle this year and you win five or six games you're not going to be able to draft an elite quarterback without giving up a ton of trade up. That's just the way the draft works because quarterbacks go inherently higher. If you draft a quarterback this year and win five or six games and you get a bridge tackle, you can get a good tackle at like the 10th, 11th and 12th pick. Cause those guys just don't go as high. So it's just the idea of, of quarterback two years out the way the entire league works. And, and that's not to say that there isn't going to be potential ways to add a quarterback in two years, but are you willing to bet your job on it? I would bet my job that they can go out and get an elite receiver next year if they pass this year. I would bet yeah. my job that they'd find a way to go out and get a starting caliber tackle next year if 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 they don't this year. I would not bet my job on that with the quarterback situation. I think we are very much on the same page there. I think if the idea is for a quarterback not to get drafted this year, it's a flawed plan. I 100% agree with that sentiment. One thing I will say, I want to pose this to you because Daniel Jeremiah said, that if the Giants wanted to trade from 12 to 3, he said it would probably take three second rounds. Was it 12 picks. to so 3 or 6 to 3? Was it 6 to 3? Let me see. Uh, we'll double check. I think it was 3 to – let's see. Oh, I'm I, sorry. I, it was 3 to 6. I apologize. It was 3, three to six. Six. Okay, because I, I was going to say, for the trade yeah. I saw, if he's saying that 12 to 3, he's lost it. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. My mistake. Yeah. But so in that scenario, he said you could get three seconds. So it would be two second round picks this year and a second rounder next year. Maybe you try to find some version of that where you also get a first round pick. So in the scenario where you do trade to six and then by then say Jane, and the only way I think they don't take Jane Daniels at three is if they just don't like him that much. And that's like, that's what Ben McAdoo, a big reason he was right. brought in was to evaluate these quarterbacks. So, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to blindly trust Ben McAdoo. I don't. 
But based on what we've heard about his preferences, it seems like he does have a good eye for quarterbacks. And Elliot Wolf also respects his evaluation um, ability. And he like Elliot Wolf. So let's assume that, you know, if it's not Jaden Daniels, you do trade that pick. He's off the board. You get a Spencer Rattler. Maybe you get a Bo Nix or, you know, whoever you want is your developmental yeah. guy. Then if they don't work out and after a year you're saying, eh, I don't really like it. Do you like the idea of taking those assets, especially if you can get a future first, packaging two firsts and getting the flexibility to move up the board and take a quarterback if you like them? Again, with a quarterback on the roster that you can develop, but just after a year, if you're saying, ah, I don't really know about it, I'm not feeling great, you still have that flexibility. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I don't love it. I just think that, look, if you can get a haul, I guess, and you move down, I, I so I, like I said, no half measures at quarterback. I think I've done this with you. I've done it on enough shows where I go through the guys. Let's let's do it. Um, it's it that everybody talks about that that plan that hey we're gonna take a guy on day two. Like everybody wants Jalen Hurts, right? We'll take a guy on day two and like hey if he works out, awesome. We have our quarterback, and if not, like we have more assets because we traded back. For every Jalen Hurts, there are twenty Stetson Bennett's. For every, um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, for every for every Brock Purdy, right? There's how many Sam Ellingers, and mm -hmm. it's just it's not sustained. These are the guys who have gone on day two, the last few years: Will Levis, Hendon Hooker, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Matt Corral. Fair, these have been some really bad classes. Let's be fair as well if we're talking about recent history because there have not been very good quarterback no, but, but, classes but, outside but, of like those top ones. But this is what quarterback classes are now yeah, because the positions become so demanding and there's you can't just be a good pass. You have to be a good runner and you have to be a leader. And like teams don't want like anything. It's not even teams don't want anything beyond the full package doesn't work in the modern NFL. It just doesn't. So I to me, if you can use – even if they move down, I was going to say 68th pick, but let's say they move down or they move up from the fourth to like the nineties. I would rather use the 90th pick on a tackle or a receiver or a player that's actually going to help you versus take a lottery ticket on a quarterback because those lottery tickets just never, ever, ever hit. And you're burning a top 100 pick that you could be using to support Mac Jones or support whoever the quarterback is you're going to take. And I would even put like, Bo Nix in the second round in this category. Like I, if you want to you do he's that, going in the that second? I think he's going to be a first when all of a sudden first or whether second, or not whatever. he should be. Yeah. Okay. Just if, if you want to do that thing where it's like, Hey, we're just going to take a quarterback late as a flyer, Joe Milton, Jordan, Travis, Austin Reed, Carter Bradley. I mean, you're talking about Ooh, God, outside no, of the no, top no, no, 150, no, no, but no, here's no, the no. thing. The hit rate on quarterbacks at that point, is almost identical to the hit rate on quarterbacks on day two. So if you have the same chance of hitting on the guy, why take him a hundred picks earlier than the hat you have to? And the reality is if you don't think the guy's a lottery ticket, if you truly believe, Hey, Spencer Rattler's our guy, maybe you trade back, but you take him in the first round. You well, don't. That's, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I agree. I agree. So like, I, I, yeah. to me, like my person, I, I, I'm of the believer, and this is a philosophy, I believe in it, that you should take a quarterback at least every other year. I think you should yep. do that because you just keep mm -hmm. the position stock. To me, you either take them first or you take them last. I have no interest in taking them in between in, in, in for a situation like the Patriots. Now, what you're saying, like, hey, maybe you draft Spencer Rattler on day two. 
if it's 2018 and you still have Tom Brady for another year or two and you can evaluate the guy, then that becomes a very logical plan. I don't think when you have so many holes on your roster, you don't have a quarterback in place. I think just blindly throwing darts is not the answer. I think you either make an elite investment or you just kind of tag it on at the end. I mean, again, I completely agree. And this is all based on who they like. If Drake May is there, pull the trigger. Don't think twice. I love that plan. I think McAdoo, I think Drake May is going to be McAdoo's QB one. He's got physical tools. There's things that scare you, obviously. Like I saw, I heard something yesterday on uh, Dane Brugler and Nate Tice's podcast where they were saying how he has like, he's like in the bottom of the country when it comes to second half touchdowns and like way up there when it comes to second half interceptions. Like there's things that could definitely scare you off. But even if he's, if he's off the board and they don't like Jaden Daniels, then it becomes, all right, we're thinking about JJ, Bo right. Nix, Spencer Rattler. Like I, I cannot emphasize enough. I do think that they are going to get the quarterback that they like. I think that will be their top priority. But I also think that we have to be honest and say, okay, but those guys might not play this first year and still try to have that flexibility. Again, if they like the guy, take him. But if you're saying, all right, I don't like him, I think picks would be more valuable because I could still get some quarterback later in the first round. That's where you start thinking, okay, maybe get some other capital where if somebody like, you know, if Cam Williams has a breakout season and he's fantastic, right. or if Shadur Sanders does declare, then if you take that guy and you're like, all right, JJ, you know, I, I don't really think this is the guy, then you still have the flexibility. But I, I, want to make it very clear. I do think that they are going yeah. to bring in a quarterback the, the, and prioritize their guy. And again, the only thing that worries me about that approach is like, if you're going to take, if, if, if you even think there's a chance or you should draft a quarterback with the impression that you're not going to be doing so again for a long time. So if you even think there's a chance that, Hey, we're going to draft JJ this year and still be open to taking a quarterback next year, then no, then draft somebody who's going to help the quarterback next year. Like if you don't believe in any of these, yeah. if, if okay. you don't believe in a guy to the point where you're sitting there saying, well, we're going to take him now, but we might take another guy next year high, then you don't really believe in him enough to draft him. And the only thing that scares me about moving down, like three to six, maybe, the last time a team moved down in the top five and still took like moved down to take a quarterback in the top five was 1995. Where did you find that? <laughs> I looked it up. It's I, I wrote something about it on 985sports.com. Hang on, I'll pull up the whole table here. Um, give me a second. It's not something teams do because, again, if you believe in the guy, you take the guy. If there's a quarterback on the board that you believe we can, we will win a Super Bowl with him. There's a plan in place. What is worth getting back to give up potentially losing him? So the last time a team traded down for quarterback at all in the first round, Taylor, was in 2013 when the Bills went from 8 to 16 to take EJ Manuel. He was the only quarterback that went that year. (laughs) before that so that's that's 10 years that's 10 years ago you got to go back another 10 years for the last time it happened before that the chicago bears traded back from four to take rex grossman but they got two first round picks they got 13 and 22 and they they took rex grossman at 22 uh they missed out on on kyle bowler in 2000 super bowl with him went to the super bowl with rex grossman shout out devin hester In night, and then what happened in 1999? The Bears again traded down from seven to 12. Again, this is the team that's been trading down for quarterbacks, is the Bears. Mm-hmm. And how's their quarterback situation been? Uh, they traded down, from seven, horrendous. <laughs> they trade down from seven to 12 to take Cade McCown. You know who went 11th? Dante mm-hmm. Culpepper via trade up. And then the last time it happened in the top five in 1995, the Carolina Panthers moved from one to five, they took Kerry Collins. Steve McNair went third. So this is my point. If you 
see something in a guy that is, this is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Odds are you're not the only team that sees it. And maybe you think based on the order right now, hey, we can move back from three to six. Now, I think Jaden Daniels is going second, but just for the sake of argument. Hey, we can move back from three to six because the Cardinals and Chargers aren't taking a quarterback, right? And maybe the Giants want MHJ, and that's why they're moving up. So the Giants are going to move up to three and take MHJ. The Cardinals are still committed to Kyler. The Chargers obviously have Herbert. You know, and, and we can get Jaden Daniels at six. And then all of a sudden, Atlanta moves from eight to five and takes Jaden Daniels. And now your whole offseason's blown up. So it's, again, if you believe in the guy, you take him. You don't play the games with it. Patrick Mahomes was viewed as overdrafted. People thought the Chiefs gave up too much to move up and take Patrick Mahomes too high. Does anybody ever talk about that? Yeah, you know, Patrick Mahomes worked out, but man, if they just wait a little bit, think about the other players they could have added to have with it. No, if he's the guy, he's the guy, you take him. If, if, if you, if he's good, Nobody's ever going to talk about how you overdrafted him. It becomes brilliant. If he's bad, doesn't matter if you took him at three or six. You have a bad quarterback. You need to move on anyway. Yeah, I, I do think that if they like somebody, they will not hesitate. I don't think they're going to yeah. play the game of like, I like Jaden. Maybe he's there at five. I don't think that's going to happen. If they like Jaden, they're going to pull the trigger. But I also think that if they do take that strategy of, all right, we're going to build around somebody, you still have to take a developmental quarterback. And somebody that's resp- not like, a, I don't think Joe Milton cuts it. I don't think Carter Bradley cuts it. I think it's got to be someone like that Bo Nix or that, you know, again, if they like the guy, because I think one, I think the fan base would like burn down Gillette Stadium if they went into the uh, the next season with just like a veteran and Bailey or whoever. You need somebody young. But I do completely agree that if they need um, or if they really like one of these young guys, they like Jaden, if they like Bo, whoever it is, I don't think they're going to play games. I think they're going to make an effort to get that guy. We're going to move on to, I think we've settled that. Like the rookie quarterback, it's going to happen. They're going to get somebody, whoever they like, is going to be their guy. No question. We're going to talk about the very realistic possibility that they bring in a veteran quarterback. If it's not Mac Jones, just to see the options of who that potential bridge could be. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. So Mac Jones, we, I think we're both kind of of the same understanding that you don't want him to be the guy, but there's the difference between not wanting Mac Jones to be the potential bridge option and then actually looking at the reality of who's even available. So I have Brad Spielberger's PFF free agency rankings. We're going to pull this up and get an idea of who the Patriots options even are if we're talking about replacing Mac Jones, if you don't like him. So 
First option is Kirk Cousins. Obviously, Kirk was one of the best quarterbacks, has been one of the better quarterbacks in the league, was like top 10 before he got hurt, suffered an Achilles injury last year, which won an Achilles injury in week eight. That's a pretty long time frame, but you don't know how he's going to look exactly. But still, I think everybody understands he's worth the investment. Do you think there's a realistic possibility that he's even going to entertain coming to the Patriots? I, no, and I, I don't think the other way either. I don't think that he, he fits. They they need some sort of semblance of future, and I don't think you're going to invest. But it will, I mean, look, they have Kirk Cousins' projected contract at $35 million a year. That plus a first-round pick investment on a quarterback is just overly massive. So I, I don't think it makes sense in either direction, frankly. Yep. Agreed. All right. Especially this is a team that's rebuilding. I don't think you're going to commit yeah. $35 million where they're at right now. Ryan Tannehill. Honestly – I think he, if we're talking about, like, if the Mac thing doesn't work out, if they say yeah. in the building, this is toxic, we need to move on, I completely understand that possibility. Anything I've said that's pro-Mac is with the understanding that he flips a switch. He's 25. Let's also understand that. This isn't like some 30-year-old who's got to change his whole personality. Like, this is a young guy who was not put in position to succeed for two straight years, like, almost actively hindered. And now he's got to rebuild himself. So if they do not believe he can do that, which is a very realistic possibility, I think Ryan Tannehill might be the guy. Now, with that said, his, he was one of the – he was not very good. I'll pull up. I have the um, stats somewhere right here, a free agent QB stats, because his numbers weren't very good. He was kind of in and out of the lineup with Will Levis. But looking at his average time to throw, it was the ninth fastest. Play action, relied on it very heavily, which is sixth highest. Now, that does fit in Van Pelt's system. He loves play action. He was 10th in yak rate, which means that in terms of quarterbacks who had at least 200 passes – he was 10th highest in the number of his passing yards that were attributed to yards after the catch. Now, again, that doesn't have to necessarily be a bad thing if you stock up on people who are good after the catch. Here's what scares me. Turnover-worthy play rate was the sixth highest among quarterbacks with 200 attempts. And that's with him being in and out of the lineup. And his passer rating was a 78.5, which was the fifth lowest. I will, you know, entertain the caveat. There was that first game where he just force-fed DeAndre Hopkins and kept getting picked off. And it looked really, really bad. But even then, his deep accuracy and uh, arm strength when it came to especially throwing over the middle wasn't very good. Like, you want to talk about Mac Jones? Tannehill's not really giving you a cannon either. And a lot of his decisions were very like, ah, uh, for someone who's been in the league as long as you have, you're scaring the crap out of me. That said, he's well-respected. It seems like he's someone that, you know, he did lose his job, but I think that was because they wanted to give the young guy a shot, which, you know, could happen again next season. Who knows? But among these people, I don't like Tannehill as an option, but he's not going to be expensive. And I think he at least gives you that leadership where he's going to be someone that's liked in the locker room and does his job. Probably your best option. Still don't love it. What do you think? So I'll say this. When, when we talk about we, I feel like I'm back in 2021 because this is what we did back then. You, you want to have a veteran backup with your young quarterback, with your rookie quarterback, right? And ideally you want a guy who has a similar skill set so he can kind of work with him and coach him. I, so it's, it's like, you know, when you like fancy people pair like dinners to wine, it's like pairing quarterback to quarterback. Who's complimentary. Who is the right flavor with each other. Um, I look at Drake may, I look at Ryan Tannehill. It's a logical pairing. It's mm -hmm. a logical pairing. I think they play now I'm talking like prime Ryan Tannehill played, you know, kind of the way you want Drake may to play. Not now, but he still remembers that even if he can't physically do it anymore, I think Ryan Tannehill would be a good influence on Drake may. So if Drake may's the pick, Signing Ryan Tannehill as the veteran backup would make a lot of sense to me. And and Ryan yep. Tannehill comes because maybe he knows, all right, Drake May's not going to start the year as the starter. He's going to start the year on the bench. So I'll get maybe a month to put tape together in, in audition for teams. Or if not, he goes the Brian Hoyer route. And it's like, 
you know, hey, I'm just going to go in. I'm going to be a great mentor. And other was he the one that got – he said something about Malik Willis. I forget if he got praised or, or – uh, I don't remember. I think I might have missed that one. Because some quarterback – hang on. I got to look this up now. Uh, oh, no. Okay, no. He he kind of dumped on mentoring Malik Willis. So maybe he's not the guy. Ooh, what did he but, say? Do you have the quote? Uh, he said it wasn't his job to mentor Malik Willis. Uh, very Brett Favre-esque. <laughs> okay, so maybe not maybe not Tannehill. All right, so I'm actually out on Tannehill now because if he's not going to be a mentor, then pff, never mind. And also, I'm looking at his injury history. He's got a high ankle sprain that he had in 2022 and 2023. His ankle's just been an issue for the past couple years. And that's one thing with this whole scenario is this is a person who could potentially start the entire season. Like, that's got to be on the table because you don't want to force that young guy out right. there of what we've seen with the Packers do. Obviously, they were in a much cushier position where they didn't have to because they had great quarterbacks. But at the same time, if this kid isn't ready, it probably is going to do more harm than good if this is your potential franchise and you rush him out there and then he starts developing bad habits, a la Mac Jones. So, yeah, I didn't even know about the whole Malik Willis thing. That one kind of hurts. So, yeah, so we're we're uh, 0 for 2 so far. Baker Mayfield, he's not getting out of Tampa, right? Like, obviously, no, 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 he no. does. He, they have him ranked below Tannehill. Get out of here with that. Absolutely yeah, not. He's wild. not getting out of Tampa. And he is the best core. I think he's he's better than than Cousins. I think he's yeah. younger. He doesn't have the injury history. Like I, that's an absurd. I just figured they didn't put him on the list because we all assumed he's not getting out of Tampa. That's an absurd ranking by by the nerds of PFF. Um, you know, Baker's Baker's not an option as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. If he becomes an option, my one ca- caveat to the whole you got to draft a guy because you need a future and and that's just you do it through draft. You he's don't the one rankings. guy who could be that. If Baker yeah. becomes available. Sign me up for Baker and Marvin Harrison Jr. That's yes, I, I go that route at that point, but it's it's not going to happen, so we don't need to spend some time on it. And that's the thing; it's free agency, right? This is not the Tom Brady sweepstakes, right. it's not the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes, it's not the Peyton Manning sweepstakes. This is not a good class because in free agency, it's the same with every position. Good players who don't have red flags don't make it to market 90% of the time, unless you're the Patriots. And then when they do, if they are good players and they make it to the market, there's usually a red flag like injury or age or something like that. Speaking of red flags, Gardner Minshew. I understand that watching the Germany game and how chaotic he was maybe was appealing to some people. I thought it was traumatizing and it made me not want any part of him. Like watching him pass up wide open receivers constantly right in front of his face was insane. But I'll pull up some numbers just so I can actually really emphasize the fact that you should not be wanting Gardner Minshew because he's basically giving you a different version of Mac Jones. Average time to throw, ninth fastest. Average depth of target, 10th lowest. So he's getting the ball out fast and he's not throwing the ball downfield like you would expect from a gunslinger. Big time throw percentage. He was the second lowest in the NFL last season. Again, he's not a gunslinger. He's not making big throws. However, he is putting the ball in the harm's way. He ranked sixth highest in turnover-worthy play rate, and his passer rating was the 10th lowest. I understand where it's coming from when you just like the allure of Gardner and the character and all those things. Like, his vibes are really cool. He's super entertaining. I think it would be absolutely insane to bring him in and expect him to start an entire season, especially considering that most of his success last year came on RPOs, and you cannot run an offense that way. Yeah, again, we talk about the pairing the quarterbacks. If for some reason you think Bo Nix is the answer, like this is the guy you're signing to be Bo Nix mentor. But that's the only situation in which I would sign Gardner Minshew. And I think if you drafted Bo Nix, the offseason's already a failure. It doesn't matter what else he did. 
Absolutely. And then, again, the Gardner went to the Pro Bowl. I, honestly, I that just shows you it what the Pro matter. Bowl is. Like, did you can you, compare did it Tyler to, Huntley go last year? Like, as a back, he was a backup, and he, he went. Did. So, he yeah, did. that doesn't count. It's also very, like, I know you could say, oh, it Matt doesn't Jones count made it. Unless, That's very different. So, I, I was it doesn't count unless I want to antagonize people about Mac Jones. Then it counts. Right, right. <laughs> All right, Jacoby Brissett. I, I don't think anybody is going to be against signing Jacoby, but we're talking about someone who could potentially start the season. Jacoby was supposed to start after he played really well um, for Sam Howell and then immediately got hurt. And he's 31 years old, not going to be 32 for a while, but he's 31 years old and he has a history of injuries. Obviously, bring him in if you want like a mentor and a guide, 100%. Everybody loves Jacoby, but I don't think you can bring him in with the idea that he's going to start for you. I think you bring him in like a Brian Hoyer where he's an emergency option, maybe not even just emergency, more like a spot starter, not your starter. And then as that guy who keeps the room copacetic and just brings good vibes. I think, look, if you know, if you draft Drake Mayer, Jane Daniels, and you know that they're going to, you're going to give them a month, right? All right. We're going to give them a month before they start. If you want to sign Jacoby to start the first month, whatever, like like I, I, that would be fine with me, but yeah, you're not signing him as a long-term start. And it's interesting because his play style is kind of in between Drake May and, and Jaden Daniels. So I think he could serve as a, as a mentor to both of those guys. Yes, sir. All right. So yeah, everybody loves Jacoby. Just not if you're expecting somebody to start long-term Jameis Winston. Yes. He couldn't unseat Derek Carr and Derek Carr's team started turning against him. So I don't know what that says about Jameis. Obviously another one of those guys, if you want character, if you want somebody who's been through a lot and can give a, a ton of guidance and experience, sure. You know, Jameis is in that kind of Jacoby Brissett sort of category. But in terms of what he gives you on the field, I don't know. I don't give know me, if he's a guy you want starting for a season. Give me a quarterback room with Jameis Winston and Michael Penix. Give me that. Well, they and, also have pretty similar body types, too. No, I think yep. Uh, Jameis, I think, a little bigger. But, yeah, yeah give me – my, like if, if again, I'm Daniels or May, whoever's on the board, but let's say it becomes Michael Penix. I want Jameis Winston as Michael Penix mentor. I think it, it makes a ton of sense. The, the biggest issues in Winston's game early are issues Penix has now outside of the injury thing. So he's a guy I think could go to Michael Penix and really work with him on. And I also think Jameis is the kind of guy that will be a mentor. I think Jameis yeah. is the kind of guy that at this point in his career will embrace that role. Dude just loves being around football from everything I've seen and, and like being around in whatever way. I think last year was a bad situation for him, but oh man, would that be fun? Michael Penn. And they're both big. Per- I don't think people are know like what Penix's personality is a ton yet, but I don't think he's as nuts as Jameis. I don't think he's going to be out there eating W's, but like he's kind of a big personality. Like he's a guy that has fun and is a little bit goofy. So him and win, it'd be a ton of fun. It would be electric. I think he'd be a great mentor for him. Like if Michael Penix is the guy, Jameis Winston is the one I'm signing as the backup and the mentor. And if again, if it's the thing where like if he starts the first month before you go to Penix, so mm-hmm. be it. Yeah, I agree. Although I actually have Winston, I have Winston as a comp for a different guy in the draft more directly. Ooh. He's my he's my floor comp for Caleb Williams. Mm, like a hyper athletic kind of Jameis. more athletic, yeah. More athletic, yeah. yeah. I can see that, that like no risk it, no biscuit where it's like, it could literally be a coin flip. Exactly. Where it's either going to be one of the coolest plays you've ever seen, or you're just going to be like, I don't even understand what in your brain thought you should do that. That's a really good cop. I like that. Before we actually get to Terod Taylor, 154, let's acknowledge the fact that we have gotten all the way past 150 and we still do not have a potential starter for the entire season. 
Again, I if they don't like Mac and they think they need to move on because it's a toxic situation, I'm all for it. I don't want the bad vibes of what happened last year in the room. If he turns it around and buys in, is like, yeah, I'll be a mentor. Like I am really in no position to argue or debate, or you know, uh, I have no leverage. Cool. He is your best option. I, I, I like. Do you disagree at this point that we're all the way this far in and we still don't have a single person who could potentially start for an entire season? And then you could throw in like, all right, before we even get to Tarad, let's bring in some guys who aren't in free agency, like a Russell Wilson or a Justin Fields. Would you entertain either one of those guys, considering you'd have to give up capital? I don't think you'd have to pay Justin because uh, if they did, they pick up a fifth year option or are they planning on it? Who, Mac? Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Oh, Justin Fields. Uh, they, yeah. that's in May. Like, right. I think oh, a day or two they, after the draft. Do you know? If, have you heard anything on, on if they're planning on it or not? No. Well, because everybody thinks they're going to trade him. So you, you trade him without picking it up because there's inherent value whether the team wants to pick it up or not. Right. Okay. So I don't so think with, the Bears will be be making that decision. So with Fields, so let's talk about that because Russell yeah. Wilson. Like honestly, I don't really want to have that discussion. To be totally honest, and if you have input, in throw Wilson. it. I cannot stand him as a person or a player. Just going to put that out there. So, yeah, no Russell Wilson. He's, just, he's not a long-term answer. He's not a long no, – I'm not no, interested no. in anybody who's not a long-term answer. I'm not. Like, is Russell Wilson going to be a mentor? Your whole thing – that's the thing. We're doing this like trying to find a starter. You find a starter in the draft. That's what you do. You don't find exactly. starting quarterbacks in free agency. So, but, yeah, Russell Wilson, to me, he's, he's cooked. He's he's mm-hmm. cooked. Yeah. But I Another obviously the ideal situation – That's a good one. And again, the ideal situation, best case scenario is you get the rookie that either start from day one or they start at some point in the season. So you can go with a Jacoby or a right. Joe Flacco. He's not on this list, which is kind of crazy. He's not even on the list above Tyrod to Rod Taylor. Everybody probably assumes like, he's going to retire. Uh, that's pretty fair. Then again, uh, Baker's what, 80 something. So who knows? Maybe he's further down there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's the best case scenario. I just, I, I want to emphasize that my whole Mac Jones take is that if they want somebody who could potentially start the year while they let somebody sit and develop the way that we've seen Packers quarterbacks do in the past, he's really the only legitimate option. But Justin Fields, let's talk about that. Yeah. If you decide that you want to trade for him, what is it like a second round pick you can get him for? It was a late That's first or early much. second or something like that. No, and I, with somebody I you wouldn't have to pay. Any, right. I would not right. give up a top 100 pick for Justin Fields. I agree. I agree. Not worth it. Not a realistic option. Um, okay. So Tarod and Taylor, and we'll just lump through lock into that mix as well. Yeah. Uh, Tarod, there's, uh, there is a very close to 0% chance. He even starts consecutive games from a health perspective. <laughs> Let's just be straight up with that. Drew he's the lock, unluckiest quarterback in the history of the NFL. I, I've always thought Tyrod Taylor's a good, now he's 35 now he's past it, but I always thought Tarod Taylor was a good player. He just kept ending up in the worst. I think if he ever ended up in the right situation, he could have been like a decent player and like a multi-year NFL starter. He just never ended up in the right situation. But again, pairing the quarterbacks, him with Jane Daniels makes a ton of sense. Yep. He's like, Tarod Taylor is the opposite of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Where every right. roster that fits is on, somehow the starter gets hurt. Tarot is like the opposite, where he starts and somehow he's always the one who gets hurt, and then this young quarterback has the to step training up staff literally stabbed him in the lung. Did <laughs> like, they really? Is that a thing? Do you not know? That's how Justin Herbert took over. They were going to sit Justin Herbert the whole first year, and then Tyrod Taylor had to get some sort of like I don't know what it was, cortisone or whatever shot uh, before the game. Like 20 minutes before kickoff, they punctured his lung and then Justin Herbert started. And obviously the rest is history. No, like he can't, it's, and he was oh playing God. well. It was like, obviously they had drafted Herbert. He was going to be the long-term starter there, but people were like, 
oh, like maybe they like move Tyrod at the deadline or like in the offseason, he's going to have some value as a starter. And the training staff punctured his lung. So Did I don't need to laugh. Everybody, I, I don't remember what ended up happening, but P, I remember at the time people were like, he's going to own the Chargers. Like he may not be their starting quarterback. He may be their owner the after owner. all of this. Oh that. my God. And he's such a good guy. I mean, like nobody just, he, not nobody. he seems Most like a nice guy punctured in the youngs, but yeah, he seems like a really nice guy. That sucks. Um, all right. So note to Rod drew lock may be the only other semi-realistic option. Although I do not want him starting a full season, but if we're talking about somebody who like can functionally do it in terms of like, he probably won't get hurt. That's the biggest thing. It's like the guys who you think could potentially start a lot of games aren't going to make it that long. So what do you think about Drew? Because the first game that he played for Seahawks last year, he wasn't great, but I also didn't think they really fit it to his skill set. The next week when they had that upset against the Eagles, it was more quick stuff, things that really kind of fit his game more. And honestly, he put together a good game, although for the life of me, I don't understand why he doesn't step into throws. Every throw he fades away, it is crazy. It's like you think Mac is bad? He'll do it from a completely clean pocket all the time, not even when he's worried about getting hit. So, I mean, but at the same time, he's functional. So what do you think about Drew? I used to really like Drew Locke back in the day. Yeah, if you need a guy to start three or four games around the rookie, I think he can do that in terms of pairing him. Maybe Michael Penix. I don't know that there's a great pairing there for him. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to that. By the way, look at Tyrod Taylor sued the Chargers for $5 million. Honestly, probably could have done it for more, but good for him. He, uh, he had a rib injury during the week, and then they were giving him a pain-killing shot, and they punctured his lung. And he had to go to the hospital oh like 20 minutes before the game. And that's how Justin T Herbert took over. Oh my God. And then wait, so he also, that happened with not the same thing, but like Baker, he got hurt and then Baker started. Did that happen with uh, EJ Manuel or did he replace EJ Manuel? No, I think that happened with EJ Manuel too. That's crazy, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> oh my God. And then last Tyler Huntley, who no. like you'd probably, I mean, if they're going to sign Jay, if they're going to draft Jay Daniels, like he's the obvious yeah, but he doesn't skill have skill set. But yeah, the part of being a mentor, like at that point, go get Tyrod Taylor, right? Yeah. At that point, yeah. spend a, so he's one year, 4 million. I didn't see what they had for Taylor, but I'd, I'd rather, if you're going to sign Tyler Huntley at that point, sign Tyrod Taylor. He's a better version of, better for the role you want. Tyler Huntley may be a better quarterback at this point. He's younger, but right. for what I really want that guy to do, I'd much rather have Tyrod Taylor. All right, so to summarize, once again, the free agent market is not good. The two guys that we think who could actually make the Patriots like a competitive team if they started long-term for the season are probably not going to be available. And if they are available, they're probably not going to go to the Patriots. So just to emphasize that and bring some uh, perspective to the situation, there aren't a lot of good options if you're looking for a potential bridge quarterback. You're going to have to either go with somebody who can only be short-term or if you want somebody long-term, he's going to be somebody who's probably not very, not great like a Drew Locke or, you know, if the Mac Jones situation works out. But enough of that. Let's move on to something a little bit more fun. We're going to compare the top three quarterbacks to ice cream flavors. <laughs> so, not this one. That's the, probably the best one that we got. Uh, but this disregard the bottom yeah. of the screen. But, all right, so let's start with Caleb Williams. Who is your cop? This is one I'm not even sure I have one. I may take inspiration from you because I'm not even sure well, yet. Like, so what, what ice cream is so chaotic and, like, you could just feel one way or the other depending on the lick? Like, So I went a different way. Just for the background, This we came up with this idea, like, during the season that, like, oh, we should do this. Like, let's – because people – we were complaining about how player comps aren't are an imperfect science. And it was, oh, let's just let's just compare them to ice cream flavors. So – I didn't even go necessarily in that direction. I just went, I, you know, to help people picture picture this. I went cookies and cream. It's the best option. 
cookies and cream. Okay. It's simple. It's a little, it's a little classic. It's a little new agey mixed together. It's fun. It's everybody likes it. There's pretty consensus. Yeah, it's the best. So I went with cookies and cream. All right. So I was thinking something like a Neapolitan. Or if you okay. get a scoop of Neapolitan, it's like nobody likes all three flavors. So it's like you're going to have the one you probably like the best, the one where you're like, all right, that's pretty good. Like, I'll still take it. And the one where you're just like, mm, I don't like it. I don't like that. I just took that last lick. So with Caleb, it's the same thing where there's plays were just phenomenal. And it's like, this guy is a freak. And then there's some where it's like, all right, you know, he's playing in structure. It's the in-between. And then he has the ones where he'll just not see a zone defender or throw directly into coverage or just pass up easy things, do something that's completely batshit crazy. And that's the chocolate for me, where it's just like the experience could be anything different, just kind of depending on, uh, I'm not going to use the word lick again. <laughs> that's the last <laughs> one I'm going to use for the rest of the show. All right, so yeah, uh, Caleb Williams, completely chaotic. Moving on, Drake May. I'll go, actually, no, I want, I want your opinion on this one first. I think it's going to be interesting. So I went Rocky Road, because it's going to be a Rocky <sighs> Road. And look, a lot of people like Rocky Road, but... It, I, I wrote my scouting report of my 98.5sportshub.com. Like, you got to take the bad with good. You got to be willing to put up with some turnovers and some headache. There's going to be, he's going to be an ice cream headache at times. No pun intended. <laughs> so I went with Rocky Road for Drake May. Damn it. I shouldn't have let you go first because that was my pick. But I no, have another good. one it's in my back pocket. You got another one? All We're right, on the same page. One. Butter Pecan. Okay. Here's I'm not my. a big pecan Butter... guy. So. Exactly. See, now this was like me and my dad. My dad loves butter pecan ice cream. I can't understand why. It is such a weird flavor. I've grown up. Honestly, I've gotten used to it. I get it. It's like a nice, smooth flavor. It's not really offensive, but if you don't like nuts, you're not going to like it. And that is exactly what Drake May is. We talk about polarizing. Some people are going to like it. He's their cup of tea. He's probably going to be more popular than pecan ice cream. Yeah. But I also think there's going to be that contingent where it's like, nope, get him out of my face. I don't like him. You're out of your mind. I don't even understand why you would put that in front of me. Well, so that's kind of where I went for Jaden Daniels. So for oh. Jaden Daniels, I had mint ice cream. Mm, okay. Or if you want to call it chocolate chip mint, whatever. Because here's why. One, the people either love mint ice cream or hate mint ice cream. Yep. Nobody is, yeah, mint ice cream, yeah, that's cool, whatever. Nobody is just whatever about mint ice cream. You feel strongly about it. And the thing with mint ice cream is, you're not going to go down to like Crescent Ridge or like your local ice cream place and necessarily get mint. Like that's not going to be, that's more something that's used in like fine dining cuisine. It, like you see it used more on the food network than you do just like going down to the corner store to get ice cream. You get a pint of mint. Nobody's really going to do that. So with Jaden Daniels, right? It's about the chef. Like he can become something truly spectacular, but you got to really cook it up and come up with something, uh, uh, you know, new and awesome and special. And if you do that, it'd be an absolute home run. So that's, I, that's, that's what I had for Jaden Daniels. I like that one a lot. All right. So my next one for Jaden is bubble gum. Okay. So here's my thinking. The passing is just like the ice cream itself. Or if like, you know, you yeah. like bubble gum. You're like, this is pretty good. You know, it's got that sweet kick. I like it, you know, satisfies the sweet tooth there. And then it's like, Ooh, but there's also pieces of bubble gum. You don't get that for most pieces of for most flavors of ice cream okay. where you get a whole other candy. That's his running ability. The guy can run. It's impressive. But then the downside of bubble gum is you get excited. You're blowing that bubble. Oh, mom, look, look how big it is. Look at that pop and it explodes in your face. And that is Jane Daniels deciding. Yeah, I just ripped off 60 yards. Let me also try to like put my shoulder down against a safety or linebacker or jump over an entire hurdle. And then boom. 
a massive explosion because why in the world did you put that much dip on your chip? So for me, that was the logic behind Jaden Daniels and bubble gum. You get the fun of the ice cream, you get the fun of the bubble gum, but if you don't, if you take advantage and you don't <laughs> limit yourself, you're going to end up with bubble gum. All That's over a your good face. one. You're going to look crazy. You want, I got some others. I got for the rest of the guys too. You want these? Let's keep going. I'm excited. Yes. Guys. All right. So Michael Penix, I went, I don't know what the flavor's called, but like ice, have you ever had the ice cream with pop rocks in it? Yes. yes. Yeah. So two reasons. One, just because the pop, the, the ball just exploding off as it's, expl- I was like, what's the most explosive ice cream? And I almost went with rocket pop, like the popsicle, Ooh, but the ball just explodes one. off his hands. But the other thing is you're always worried his knees are going to pop. So it kind of works damn. twofold. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's my Michael Penn. I know I was like, <laughs> I, I had trouble. So it works in two, it works in two ways, but Michael Penix is pop rocks, ice cream. Um, Wait, I, I think I got or... one too. Okay. All right. So it's like when you get the ice cream, like after church or when you're at the park, or whatever, with the faces on it and they got the bubble gum in the eyes. Oh, like those the, are... uh, from the ice cream truck. Exactly. Like those are awesome. They're fun, but under pressure or under heat, they, oh, melt they melt all over your hand and it's an absolute disaster. You're like, one. what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> this is disgusting. It's the same thing. Or Penix is awesome. He's a ton of fun under the right circumstances. But if you're going to stand out in the sun and not eat that ice cream for like 10 minutes, it's going to melt all in your hands. He's going to completely cave under pressure. And it's just like, okay, maybe I need to rethink my choices here. I think that the last time that happened when I was a kid, I was like, never again. I'm just not taking <laughs> a chance anymore. All right. So for Bo Nix, vanilla. He's, he's fine. He's, he's, he's fine. Like he's kind of there, whatever. Uh, he's vanilla. <laughs> I'm not going to get think, that excited I don't think about you can argue that. Like there's nothing, there's no other option. That's exactly what he is. Right. I, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, it's vanilla. It's, it's I love it vanilla, but you know, yeah, if, but if it's, you it's throw some jimmies on there, some jimmies. No, but just plain vanilla, no toppings. The toppings would right, be right, right, if right, you right. surround him with Mike Evans and Marvin Harrison Jr. Those guys are the toppings, right? Yeah. Um, yep. JJ McCarthy, empty bowl. There could be any, there's the potential to have any kind of ice cream in that bowl. But right now there's no ice cream in the bowl. And it's up to you what kind of ice cream you want to put in the bowl. If you're the team that drafts him, you kind of turn him in whatever you want him to be. But there's nothing in the bowl right now. So he's he's an empty bowl. There's the potential for there to be ice cream. There is definitely potential for ice cream to be in the bowl. But as things stand right now, the bowl itself is empty. That's pretty funny. I like that. Okay, here's a pretty good question. Okay. What kind of vanilla? I well, wait, 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 wait. For so, vanilla bean. So I, I have another comp coming up that plays. Okay, the- okay. So I'll skip to that one now. Spencer Rattler. Birthday cake. Because looks like vanilla. At first glance, it's vanilla. But there's a little something else there that like, hmm. Okay, this isn't vanilla. This is a little something different, and it's got a little twist to it. And like at its core, it's still vanilla, but like vanilla plus. Yeah. So I guess then Bo Nix is like whatever store brand supermarket vanilla. Like I love the like home style vanilla, (laughs) but I went with birthday cake for Spencer Rattler because he's also like super young. So um, you want to call him home style vanilla, buttermilk vanilla, birthday cake, where it's like he's he's vanilla, but there's a little something there that's interesting to me that's like not your usual vanilla. And then I have one more. All right. This will be our close. What do you got? All right. Send us you off know, the high note. You know I had to get my boy Joe Milton in here. Of course. Oh, God. Have you ever had cinnamon ice cream? No. They make cinnamon so, ice cream? They do. I don't know whether or not it's good or bad, but it's definitely <laughs> strong. Like you feel the cinnamon. <laughs> you feel it. And 
whether or not you enjoy it or not kind of isn't the point. But you bite in a cinnamon ice cream and you freaking know you bit in a cinnamon ice cream. So that's Joe Milton. Like, I don't know whether he's good or not, but I know he's strong. I can tell you that right whether or not that is translatable to anything. I have no clue because he might be too strong. But that's that's what I know about him. And that's all I know about him. So Joe Milton is cinnamon ice cream to me. Amit, please clip that and use that as the plug for the show. That is sensational. Didn't even know that existed. All right, Alex, this has been a ton of fun. As always, thank you so much. Best damn day of the week on a Thursday. Please let the people know where they can find you and what exciting stuff you've got coming down the pipeline. Yep, 98.5thesportshub.com. I'll have some more stuff on Van Pelt up in a little bit. Also some reactions to the Dynasty episodes tonight. Uh, recorded, excuse me, recorded a new uh, Catch-22 this morning with with – Evan as well. Hang on, before we wrap up, let's do this. I mean, this is an interesting one. I was going to do it. What what flavor ice cream is Mac Jones? I think Mac is like Mac is vanilla ice cream and then you walk out and it falls off the cone. That's what (laughs) Mac is. It's like, oh, you know, this might be pretty good. And then you don't even get to enjoy it because it's now on the ground and you're like, I'm not going back for another one. I guess we're just going to have to live with it. So I'll say, I'll say this one relative to the Patriots, relative to the current Patriots quarterback situation. Mac Jones is Froyo. We don't know if he counts or not. Is Froyo ice cream? It depends who you ask. Some people would say yes. Some people would say no. Is Mac Jones part of the Patriots quarterback uh, uh, process moving forward? Some people would say yes. Some people would say no. Is a hot dog a sandwich? That's kind of where we're at, I think, with Mac Jones at this point. That was fantastic. That was really good. But the cheese flavors, that was pretty hilarious. All right. Thank you all for your submissions. Those are fantastic. Uh, We're going to head out now. But I do have another show at 5 o'clock with EJ Snyder. I've been trying to get different people's perspectives outside of the Patriots bubble on how they can go about this rebuild. EJ is going to break it down with me. So tune into that at 5. But for now, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And we'll see you next time. Peace, everybody.